by downloading or listening to this podcast. You are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hello and welcome to another episode of IFM Podcasts. My name is Christian Guzman, Senior Vice President with Moody's Sovereign Risk Group. A couple of months ago in August, Moody's and IFN announced a collaboration to provide insights and analysis for Islamic finance worldwide, allowing IFN users to gain access to Moody's content covering Islamic finance, ranging from trends in Sukuk issuance, Islamic banking and insurance, to overarching credit analysis of key Islamic jurisdictions in the GCC and the Asia-Pacific. Today, we will be discussing sovereign credit perspectives related to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. With me today is Alexander Perjesi, Vice President, Senior Analyst with Moody's Sovereign Risk Group based out of Dubai. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Christian. As lead analyst for Moody's Sovereign Rating on the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, do you mind briefly going over our overarching credit view of Saudi Arabia? Sure, Christian. As you know, we rate Saudi Arabia at A1. Uh, this captures first and foremost a number of important credit strengths. In particular, it captures the country's very large stock of hydrocarbon reserves, with very low extraction costs, which ultimately form the backbone of Saudi Arabia's economic strength. The credit profile is also supported by the government's still very robust balance sheet, which is in turn underpinned by moderate debt levels and by the government's large fiscal and foreign currency buffers. On the other hand, Saudi Arabia's credit challenges include its large fiscal and economic exposure to decline in oil demand and uh, oil prices, as well as its lack of economic and fiscal revenue diversification. The government has put together a fairly ambitious and comprehensive reform plan a few years ago to diversify the economy as well as its fiscal revenue base away from oil and gas and has made some initial progress on this front. But we expect that uh, a full implementation of the ambitious reform plans will be challenging, and that the positive impact of these reforms will likely only be felt over a much longer term. Last but not least, it's important to mention geopolitical risks here. These risks are among the factors that constrain Saudi Arabia's rating. These risks are mainly related to regional security threats and especially tensions with Iran. Our outlook, as you know, uh, is currently negative. This is meant to capture the uncertainty about the degree to which the government will be able to offset the oil revenue losses stemming from a lower oil prices as a result of the pandemic, and to what extent will the government be able to stabilize its debt burden and assets in the medium term. Great. Thanks for that overview of Saudi Arabia's A1 rating and what underpins its currently negative outlook. Now let's turn to Islamic finance and the government's sukuk issuances. How has Saudi Arabia's sukuk issuance program evolved in the past few years? Frankly speaking, Saudi Arabia is a relative latecomer to the sukuk market. It really wasn't until 2017 that the government issued its first sukuk. Until then, it relied exclusively on conventional borrowing and on drawdowns from its fiscal reserves to fund its fiscal deficits. But it all changed in 2017. After its large 9 billion international sukuk issuance, the government went ahead and established its domestic real-denominated sukuk issuance program and has since become a regular monthly issuer of long-term government sukuk. As a result, by 2019, 
that is less than two years. Government sukuk issuance accounted for more than 50% of gross government financing. And Saudi Arabia became the largest issuer of long-term government sukuk, not only within the GCC, but also internationally, overtaking both Indonesia and Malaysia, which were the leading sukuk issuers up until then. In light of the global pandemic shock and the impact of lower oil prices, what are your expectations for government sukuk issuance this year and next? Yeah, the pandemic has uh, no doubt triggered an unprecedented shock for the global economy, but the shock has been doubled the impact on the oil exporters like Saudi Arabia because of their large exposures to global oil demand and oil prices. In fact, we estimate that the sharp drop in oil prices this year and the production cuts by the OPEC that followed will likely more than double Saudi Arabia's fiscal deficit this year to around 12% of GDP. This in turn will increase the government's financing needs and its borrowing, including in the Sukuk format. Based on the issuances so far this year, we now expect that total 2020 Sukuk issuance by the government will reach around $40 billion equivalent. That is nearly a double of last year's Sukuk issuance that will take the overall stock of government Sukuk to more than $100 billion, likely overtaking Malaysia by the end of this year as the government with the largest stock of outstanding Sukuk. That's interesting, and that uh, is all in domestic and local currency. But do you expect the government to issue any international Sukuk this year? Yeah, it is well possible. They issued international Sukuk in each of the past three years. But the bulk of Sukuk issuance this year is likely going to be on the domestic market. This is part of the government's plan to increase the share of uh, domestic debt in the total debt that it owes. In this context, it's worth mentioning that the Sukuk issuance on the domestic market so far this year also included issuance of unlisted Sukuk through private placements into autonomous government institutions, uh, mainly the GOSI, the state-run social security institution, and the PPA, the government pension fund. And the issuance so far uh, this year also included a refinancing exercise that the government completed and announced in July. Through this exercise, the Ministry of Finance replaced around 9 billion of maturing domestic conventional bonds by domestic sukuks issued through the regular real-denominated program. This exercise clearly underlines a very strong domestic demand for Sharia-compliant fixed income assets uh, with legacy holders of conventional bonds switching to the domestic sukuk issuances. And given this rapid growth in overall volumes, what else has the government done to support development of the domestic sukuk market? What I would like to highlight on this point is the following. First, in uh, mid-2018, the government established the primary dealer program to smoothen the issuance process and improve liquidity and tradability of the sukuk instruments on the domestic market. Then, a year later, in April last year, the government reduced the minimum denomination of the sukuk issuances to 1,000 rial, which is around $270, to make it easier uh, for the retail investors to participate in the domestic market and for the mutual funds to be able to set up dedicated government sukuk investment funds. Now, all of this has contributed to a fairly unprecedented increase in the sukuk market liquidity and increased the sukuk trading volume on Tadawul, the uh, Saudi stock exchange, to around 70 billion Saudi rial annualized in the first uh, eight months of this year from less than 1 billion in 2018. Uh, that's, uh, that's around 70-fold increase, uh, very unprecedented indeed. 
Finally, in August this year, the Capital Markets Authority approved a resolution that allows non-residents to invest in listed as well as non-listed domestic Sukuk instruments directly, that is, without having to set up an onshore entity. This, will, we expect, will over time further improve secondary market liquidity and, of course, over time will also gradually broaden the domestic Sukuk investor base, especially once it also becomes possible to settle transactions in domestic Sukuk through one of the major international central securities depositories like Eurostream or Clearstream. Okay, great. Thank you for joining me, Alex, and thanks everyone for listening. Look out for the next podcast from Moody's in the next quarter.